turning to the book of Colossians, I would really like, if possible tonight, to finish the book of Colossians. You may remember we started it on March the 3rd, uh, and it's only four chapters, and we're actually only on the second chapter, so uh, it's been a while. Uh, We can't account for the (laughs) 10 weeks that we missed or whatever it was uh, there in between, but... Uh, we're talking in the book of Colossians, and the whole purpose of what we've been studying uh, started with sort of the preeminence of Christ, um, but we've spent the entire time in these studies, and we've we still got more to do, but we've spent the entire time in these studies trying to figure out what did Paul write about 2,000 years ago that could still be applicable to us today. And so... That's sort of what our purpose has been. Tonight, what I want us to finish with, if we possibly can, uh, is a couple of different things. I want us to talk about the foundations of life as a Christian. And I think we all know what a foundation is. We think about a house, most likely. And then thinking about, as we get into uh, later parts, um, the old man and the new. And then finally, to finish with how... Christ is sufficient in human relationships. And I think all three of those are important uh, for us uh, to discuss. So let's go ahead and go to chapter 2, starting in verse 20. And we're going to go, the the readings tonight are not as broken up as smoothly as uh, they usually are. So uh, uh, pay attention when I ask you what to read, uh, because it may seem a little bit odd. Uh, the divisions aren't perfectly there. So Colossians chapter 2. Melvina, I'm going to have you start. Verse 20 through 23, please. Now hold right there for just a minute because we're going to come back to it. But Dad, you care to read then verses 1, 2, and three, uh, the first four verses of chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So let's go to what Melvina read first. Because and if we refer back to the last time we were studying, we had talked about what my Bible titles, not legalism, with, but Christ. And how some people had accepted Christ. Some people had become Christians, but were still sort of tethering themselves 
to the old law. And in fact, some who were Christians were still maybe even saying that in order to be a Christian, you have to follow these old laws, which actually, we said, had been hung on the cross with Christ as well. And so let's look at what Melvina read about there to start with. Verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world. So if you died with Christ. Well, he's talking to living people here. So what does he mean when he says if you died with Christ? These were people that are physically in the graveyard. They were baptized. Those that had been baptized into Christ. So if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves Two regulations. What are regulations? What's the word regulation mean? Rules. Rules. Okay. A lot of times it's rules and regulations. That's how it's referred to. But regulations are things that, that you would need to follow. So he says, why though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? And then verse 21, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. What's he talking about? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. What, what, what is verse 21? Their old law was full of these restrictions about what you could not touch or, you know, you could not taste. You could not, what was the other one say? Uh, you, you could not handle. Can you give me an example of maybe something that would fall under like do not touch, taste, handle? Uh, swine. Okay, swine, all right. A dead body. A dead body, okay. What else? They weren't supposed to touch the Ark of the Covenant, right? Uh, it, there, there's any number of things. You can go back and read Numbers, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, especially, and you can really get into Leviticus, I guess, as well. But you can get into all of those laws about what you could not do. Now, is there anything wrong with any of those laws? No, not particularly. If there was a rule that said you could not eat, uh, pork or anything from a pig. How many of you all would struggle following that rule, right? Right? <laughs> uh, like that bacon in the morning or that ham sandwich at lunch or whatever it might would be. But if there was a rule that said you couldn't, it probably it, that's not something that would affect our Christianity. Or if you were to say, I, I don't think it's right to eat that, I'm not going to. There'd be nothing wrong with that. It becomes a problem when what? When you bind that on me, when I show up at Lucille's house in the morning, you're making bacon. Well, that's not, you're not allowed to, you, I, I don't believe you should do that. Well, that becomes a problem. And so when we get it, when we refer back to what that legalism, and we think about those old regulations like that, when you become tied to those regulations, what are you worshiping? Are we worshiping God? Or are we worshiping the rules that make us be the people that are following God. Do not handle, do not touch, uh, do not taste. Those rules were put in place for whatever reason, but those were the rules that were there under the Old Testament. But those things became so difficult to follow because in many cases, it was too much to be able to understand. And you were just hitting, we've said it before, you were hitting that checklist, okay? How many of you have ever made a checklist at the in the morning and said, these are the things I'm going to do today? Or maybe do it tonight, and I'm going to make the checklist for tomorrow. Well, there's probably some things on there that we don't want to do, right? I do not want to dust the house. So we're going to hurry up and get through dusting so I can do what, right? Mark it up. I'm going to mark it. Is the house going to look good? Yeah, it's been dusted. But has my heart truly been in the dusting of the house? 
No. No, you, I had no desire to do that. So am I truly doing this because I want to do that? Or am I doing this because it's on the checklist? The problem with the old law was it was too much checklist and not enough want to. Jesus said, I want you to follow me. Not the old law, because it dies with it. Which concerns all things which perish with using in verse 22, which I think is a really good point. All of the things that it talks about in the old law were physical things. According to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body. But last part of verse 23, but are what? but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Let's go on to verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, because we already said that a minute ago, right? It said that in verse 20, therefore, if you died with Christ, well, we, we died, right? But then how are we raised with Christ? Good. Where's the dead part? You know, into that uh, baptistry or into the creek or wherever it might be. That's killing you if you want to think about that. That's the dead part. And when you come up, you are raised with Christ. But significant, what you're saying there is you've left something there behind. Leland, you just said the old man. We're going to get to that in a second. You've left that behind. If you were raised with Christ, well, if you've been... If you've died with Christ, then by definition, you're going to be raised with Christ as well. If you've been raised with Christ, what should we do in the first verse? Seek those things which are above. Where what? Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Now, does that mean that I need to look up at the sky and I can find where Jesus is sitting right there? What does it mean by the things that are above? The teachings of heathens. Good. What else do we mean when we read that? The things that are above. Christ is not of the earth. Christ is not of the earth. Okay. Holy. Holy. Set apart. Set apart. So if I'm looking up. Okay. Forget. This would work better if there wasn't a roof with beams across the top. But if I'm looking up, it's an expanse of just openness, right? When I look ahead, I see everything, right? And what I see is people who maybe are sick or people who are hurting or people who have had issues that have arisen. That's the kind of stuff we see when we look ahead. Okay? We see differences and complaints and issues. Eyes above, seek those things which are above, those which are Christ. Set your mind on things above, verse 2, not on things of the earth. Because why, verse 3? For you died... And your life is hidden with it. With Christ in God. Okay? Now, you didn't really die. Right? We made that pretty clear. You didn't really die. But what died with you? What died right there? You have said, I would like to make a change. I guess you could baptize somebody if they didn't really want to, right? You probably could. What have you done in that case? You've got wet. Right? Did anybody ever baptize in the pool or the river when he was little? Right? And 
and most of the time, you probably, if you can baptize somebody, you'd hold them down there a little bit longer, right? You know, if it's your sister, your brother, your friend, like, oh, stay down there a little bit longer, all right? Well, you're just being a goofball right there. That's not a baptism. Verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does it mean there? Your life is hidden. What does it mean to be hidden? What is hidden? Just, okay. What is, what is hidden? If something is hidden, it, it can't be seen, it can't be found. I'm sorry? Protected can work there as well, right? That, that, work, that probably works even better than hidden. For your life is hidden or your life is protected with Christ in God. I know I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. Our son is the was the worst hide-and-go-seek player of all time. He was terrible. He was just awful at it. Like, he would hide under the bed, but his butt and his legs and his feet were all hanging out from the bed. Well, he looked more like the... Which and you know, which Vaz that he did, you know, played hide and go seek. That's not really hidden, right? Something that's hidden, something that's protected. It says in verse three, your life is hidden with Christ and God. So if it's hidden, if it's protected, whatever we whatever we want to use, then let's go on to verse four. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then what? Then you will also appear with him in glory. So, what does that? What does verse three and four mean then? The life of this world, we we don't understand it, but we have to leave it behind. Mm-hmm. And the quicker we become a Christian, the more and the more able, the more we learn about Christ and His Word, the more we are able to leave it behind. Uh, I think, in, uh, as you said, look at the you said. You see on the internet a lot of times, mansions, okay? They were built in the 1800s, 1700s. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful mansions. And now they're in ruins, okay? And you think, wait, that was the best house in Jerry County or Lincoln County. But now it's it's a, it's, it's a disaster, okay? And it can't be safe. And uh, we, we see that all around us. And that's the exact same thing with us. We can't save our bodies, okay? Right. We can get Botox, we can get injections, <laughs> we can do everything we want. We cannot... Cannot, cannot save this body. Right. But we try. That's what we spend a lot of our time. And we need to be protecting our spiritual life. So let's go with that then. We can't protect our body, this life that we experience here on earth, the things that happen here within the earth. And let's go back just a moment to what we said, old man versus new man. Okay? Now, again, when we use the word man here, we're encompassing anyone. But old versus new. I want you to think for just a minute. I want you to give me an example of something recently, in the last year or something, something that was old to you that you have replaced with something new. Uh, give me any kind of example. I don't really care what. A new coffee pot. Okay. So, what happened to your old coffee pot, Lucille? It was not working. Okay. Now you could have kept it. You probably did. Well, come to us. I'm going to get that coffee pot. <laughs> but you realize at some point, Lucille, that this is just not working the way I want it to work. I want you to know. What's something else? You may got another example of something that maybe you had that was old, but you got something new now. Ron and Joyce, I can think of something for you all. New house, right? Now, 
their situation might not have been that their old house wasn't working good, but they, for whatever reason, the better reason, they needed to get to a new house. Now, that's a lot bigger than a coffee pot, right? Anything else? Can you think of anything else that you've recently... Some of my clothes were not working good, <laughs> and I didn't get new. Some of your, yeah, <laughs> out of style. Is that what it was? Uh, yeah. <laughs> dryer shop is struggling. Yeah, I mean, you gotta get a new dryer. That's probably the biggest problem. We all can relate to these things, right? We all know when it's time to get something new. Now, some of us may want to hold on to that old thing too long, right? You ever kept a vehicle too long? You ever kept a house too long? Ever kept a coffee pot too long? <laughs> and, I, and I've seen people keep clothes too long. Keep clothes. Wearing clothes way too tight. Right, right. We came to the store one time and she said, I'm never going to a size 14, but she needed it in a 16. <laughs> <laughs> she bent over, her dress went up, and it never went back. Right. <laughs> but that, that was her great quote. I'm never going to a 14. I'm, I'm staying for the 20. So when we think about old and new, if we're truly going to make a move from old to new, what do we have to do with the old? Let's well, turn loose of it. Okay? Now, we can joke about Lucille's coffee pot down in the basement, but after you made that first cup of coffee, your first pot of coffee in the new one, do you have any desire to go back to the old one? No, we shouldn't, right? We've put that away. That one, that one's not working for us. So, Let's think for just a moment about the old man versus the new man. We're going to read verses 5 through 11, okay? And I want us to think about sort of what inhabits the old man and then what should be inhabiting of the new man. Jimmy, can you do verses 5 through 11, sir? Therefore, put to dead your members which are on the earth, Okay. Now, I don't want to dive into verses 5 and verses 8 and have in-depth conversations about what these failures are, these sins are. That's not the point. The point of verses 5 and verse 8 in particular is to show that the old man did what? Did wrong. Okay? The old man sinned. In verses 5 and 8, uh, verses 5 and 8 especially, when you, start saying, you, you can just about any crime or any wrongdoing that anybody does, you can probably find in one of those verses. Okay? So the point is, is that the old man sinned. Now, if we look too closely at verses 5 and 8, we'll start categorizing, right? I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Well, before we before long, how would we describe the old man? Wasn't that bad? Wasn't that bad? Right? I it really wasn't that bad. I never once, uh, I, I, I never once uh, practiced covetousness. 
Never. Never. Jimmy did. I didn't. So, all of a sudden, we're, we're starting to rank things. That's not the point right here. We're saying that with, when we think about the old man, that's the kind of stuff that was there. So let's go then to verse 6. Because of these things, what? Verse 6. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the children or the sons, it depends on which Bible we have, of disobedience. So the point being is the people that practice these things in verse 5, what's going to happen? They're going to be punished for okay? Well, I didn't do all of those. There's like six things listed. I only did one. What does that mean? You're guilty of all. But that's okay because he's tell, he, we're talking about the old man versus the new man. So in verse 7 it says, In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. He's saying that you did the same thing. All right? We don't want to make a list of all the things we've ever done wrong. There's not enough paper for some of us to be able to do that. But whether it's ten pages or one thing, can any of those sins get to heaven? No. That's what we're taught. So let's go to verse 7 then. Or excuse me, verse 8. But you now yourselves are to put off all of these. Okay? Put off all of these. I do like... How I would compare verses 5 and verse 8. Because I tend to look at verse 5 maybe as a little harsher than verse 8. Okay? I'm not going to fornicate, but I can get angry. I'm not going to covet, but I might have filthy language. See what I'm saying there? He says what? He's already listed verse 5. You used to do that. Verse 8 he gets to. He says, in which you yourself walked in, uh, when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these things in verse 8. Okay? Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And have put on the new man what? In verse 10. He's renewed. He's renewed in what? He is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him that's capitalized who created him. Now, what I read this is saying, verses 5 and verse 8 with these sins, yes, you and I did those. And maybe we did them because we're many. But maybe we did them because we didn't know any better. But you, the new man, have been taught. You have been, Connie, you just said it there, right? Renewed in knowledge. Okay? You have been renewed in knowledge. Think about what that means, renewed in knowledge. What does that mean? That you know better now. That you know better now. Okay? That you know better now. You've been taught. You've learned. You have been, as it reads there, renewed in knowledge according to what? The image of Christ. The image of him who created him. If you uh, are baptized and you accept Christ and you confess Christ and you're baptized, you repent before those things. Uh, in theory, you know about Jesus Christ. Hopefully you, you have to know about Jesus or you would not do that. Sure. Otherwise, it's just the way that you said well, now you know about Christ, and you know about his goodness, and you know about how he's overcome the world. That should be you now. I didn't know that before when I was doing these stupid things. 
Now I do. Why would I continue to do these stupid things? Because I want to be like Christ. I want to emulate Him, and I want to go ahead. That's what. That's now. That's being renewed in knowledge. I didn't know that, but I know it now. And that's that should be our emphasis to, to continue. Other thoughts. It's like almost giving you a chance to start over. Absolutely. Sometimes when I would give students a test and maybe they didn't do very good, they would come up to me and they'd say, can I retake that? But if you said yes, what you just see like a wave of sort of excitement pass through, like, oh man, I get another shot. I'm not going to have a bad grade on my work. Our mom's not going to be mad at me. That, that second chance at whatever else it might would be. Now, all of this sort of follows up where we talk about this legalism in the previous chapter about, you know, like, well, you've become a Christian, but you still, you know, you still got to follow the old law, this idea that people existed. Paul sort of wraps that up in verse 11 because he says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. He's saying right there, yes, on this earth, there will be people that are different. There's always going to be people that are different. Who does the gospel go to? All. Does it matter Jew or Greek? Nope. Circumcised or uncircumcised? Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free? Absolutely not. But the old law restricted people, right? Christ's death made it available for everyone. Thoughts? Now, those are the things then that we would describe as sort of the old man. So let's look at verses 12 through 17 and let's describe the new man. Jill, can you read verses 12 through 17, please? there are what we have to have as characteristics of the new man. 
So I'm not just taking something off, I'm putting something new back on. Let's look then at verse 12, what she read. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on. And let's look at what we've got. What are we going to put on first? Put on tender mercies. Now, tender mercies is not a shirt or pants or shoes. But we're going to have tender mercies with us. What does that mean? Brent, I was going to think on Sunday what the word mercy meant. What is tender mercies? Heart of compassion. That works really good as well. So we're going to have to have compassion for who? Ourselves, right? <laughs> who are we having compassion for? <sighs> this new man's already getting harder, right? Tender mercies or compassion. What's the second thing then? Put on tender mercies. Put on what? Kindness. Kindness. Okay, put on what? Humility. What? Put on what? Gentleness or meekness. Put on what? Long suffering. Bearing with what? One another. It's easy to bear with yourself. It's hard to bear with others, right? Bearing with one another. Okay? Bearing with one another. What's the next one? Well, I can put up with you, but I don't want to forgive you, right? Forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, then what? So it's really interesting right there. If anyone has a complaint against one another, I'm asking in those verses, we can say, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be perfect. Are you going to have complaints about me? Am I going to have complaints about you? Yeah. Do have issues with each other that will arise from time to time? What do I need to do? I need to forgive one another. Well, it's really hard. It's really difficult. I don't want to forgive you. You wronged me in some way. Well, the clause is put in there, the, the conclusion of it, it says what? As who, as who did what? As Christ forgave you. Stick it out of that one. So verses 12 and 13, all the things that we're going to put on. Let's go to verse 14. But above all things put on What? Love, which is what? Which is the bond of protection. Protection. Protection or perfection? Perfection. Perfection. I knew that at the time, right? Which is the bond of perfection. So above all things, put on what? Love. Love. I enjoy being a Christian, but I don't love anybody. (laughs) What? I'm sorry? A Christian that don't love anybody? Yeah. If you don't, if you don't love being a Christian, you don't love nobody. How can you be a Christian? Those two statements are completely at odds with one another. Okay? So if we're... <laughs> 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 Sounds like the T's ready to have you sorted with me. Coffee pot. Looks like you gave her the old one. Right? That's the bond of perfection. What does that tell us we have to do? And I feel like we, need to, we need to say that love makes it complete the bond of perfection. That's what cements it, makes it complete. Without the love, if you do, if you're me, but you really don't really want to be, right? You know, because you don't really love the people, then you you've wasted your time. You know, you might have meek characteristics. Sure. You need to have meek characteristics, but you love the people, and it's hard to do. It's hard to, do. It's hard to love our enemies. Oh, it absolutely can be. 
so let the uh, uh, put on the love, which is bond of perfection, verse 15, and let the what in verse 15? Peace of Christ, the peace of God, P-E-A-C-E, the peacefulness, not a part of, but all of, the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and what? Be thankful. Be thankful. Well, I'll be peaceful, but I'm not going to like it, is not going to be an effective approach. I'm going to be peaceful, and I'm going to be thankful to have that peace in my heart. Now, do I have to work for that? Yes, you do. Will there be complications that will make peace in your heart difficult? Of course there will be. However long you live, that's going to be difficult. All right? But we'll have to work toward it, but we're going to let that peace rule in our hearts. Verse 16, the third one, and let the word of Christ what? Dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. And he keeps on going right there. I don't, I, I've heard him say this numerous times, so I'm going to quote him even though he's not here. But Ben has used the word dwell as this descriptor saying a place where you, where you live. Okay? A place where you physically are. Okay? You might have stayed a night at the Holiday Inn in Bowling Green, Kentucky, but you didn't dwell there. You live where you dwell. You want that to be your place, okay? So in verse 16, if you're going to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, okay? Not, well, I'll let them stay here just because I'm trying to be a nice guy, okay? You know, they used to say that the old, the old saying was that you had pineapples and turn pineapple upside down this time from yesterday. That's what they used to say. Well, if you're letting something dwell in you richly, you're fine with that being there. So what does that tell us about our Christianity and about Christ and the Word of God in verse 16? You know, Daniel, these verses from 12 through 16 is powerful uh, verses. Absolutely. And, and I think we don't need to go back and read them every day. I think you would be, uh, you, I think we would be benefited greatly yeah. from doing so. Oh, absolutely. I think we see a lot of it was just the same writer. I think there's a whole lot of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that comes out in these handful of verses right here. Paul writing in both of them. You sort of see, it's not repeated, it's not the same thing, but he's emphasizing what's important. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, what are the three things, right? Faith, hope, and love. But he says, what's the greatest? This is the greatest of these is love. Well, we see right here, you know, we, we see in verse 14, love is the bond of perfection. Verse 15, peace of God rule in you. 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you. They're not the same things, but you can kind of see the same description, right? Those things that we've got to have in us. Well, if we put all three of these things in us, are we going to be a better new man than the old man was? Absolutely. And that's what we'll strive for. And finally, verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do it how? Do it all in the name of the Lord and then do what? Give thanks. Give thanks to God the Father through him. Okay? Yeah, none of this is going to be easy. But it's going to be especially difficult if we don't do it without God's assistance. If we try to do it without God. Okay? If then I'm made this point dozens of times through the years. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot think about evil thoughts and bad news and like, you know, watch the news six hours a day 
and watch bad thing after bad thing after bad thing after bad thing happen, and then squeeze in 30 minutes of Bible study, and it's going to trump the six hours of bad that you watched. True. Yeah. Or, or, and then not only did you watch the six hours of bad news, but you dwell upon the, six, the 10 more hours you spent thinking about, well, what about that? What about this? Right. What about this terrible thing that I saw? What about this terrible thing? But I'm going to squeeze in 30 minutes of Bible study, and it's going to trump the. It cannot trump. It cannot. But if you, thought, if you thought of good things for 12 hours and you saw 30 minutes of news, you probably did like that. So let me, think, let me change that just a little bit. You're exactly right. <clears throat> we think about that in sort of a secular sense, okay? Well, I'm, I'm not going to watch TV. I'm not going to work. Okay, fine. Think about things in the church. People in the church. The church. Activities in the church. If we spend all of our time as a Christian... <clears throat> Worried and fretting and angry about things that are happening in the church. And we spend none of our time encouraging people in the church and being happy about the church. What's the church going to be like? It can't, it can't exist, right? You know, pretty sorry sermon. They sing the same song all the time. Well, it would be nice if there were more people there tonight. Is there anything factually wrong with those three statements, maybe? Maybe not. It might have been a terrible sermon. It may be irrelevant. We might have something that's on two weeks in a row. It would have been better if there were more people. But what if you dwell on those things all the time? It beats you down. It beats you down. Okay? It would beat you down. How many people want to go to a place where the people seem to beat down? Where the people don't want to be there. Where there's a negative vibe in the air of a place. You've been places like that. It doesn't even have to be church. You've been to some place you, you, you just feel the tension in the air, right? This is not a place I want to be. What if the church is like that? How can you grow? I don't mean physically in numbers. How can you grow spiritually if that's what the place is like? You can't, right? So we've got to have that new man. We have to put away that old sin that was in our life and go on with these new kind of, you know, love and all of this stuff that's there. But we can't just say, well, I'm doing that and then not actually do it. And the place to start it, most of all, is right here with the people that are closest to you that would have the same beliefs as you because they're probably not going to out there. And you know what? That's okay for right now. But you need to be tight and close and working together in spiritual harmony with these people right here. Amen. We came back together. Uh, well, we came back together after being away for 10 weeks. Uh, it was a relief for me because I got to be with the people that I love most. Okay? Sure. I love everybody. I love everybody. I love everybody. But I need that. I need that companionship. I need that interaction with people that I love most. People that are interested in spiritual matters and not worldly matters. Because the world will not like it. I, I think we all are smart enough to know that the world will not like it. But we oftentimes live our lives as if the world is what matters and not the church. Absolutely. Let's, we, we, our time is tight. I, want, I do want to finish, so let's finish. Uh, Leland, do you care to read verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1, Leland? And a wife be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be a bitter against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they will not lose heart. 
slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fear the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slave justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. So we don't need to go into this too deep because we've already addressed this when we were in Ephesians. Chapter 5 is talking about husbands and wives in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about children. It talks about other kinds of relationships. But what we see here is that we can't truly be a Christian, Paul saying the same thing to the Colossians that he is to the Ephesians, if we can't work together and get along together with the people that are closest to us. We, we can't, right? Now, as we've already said, I've staggered these comments several times already. Is it always going to be perfect? Will your family relationship always be perfect? Will people in your family choose to go a different direction than you are? Will people in your church family choose to go a different direction than you go? They absolutely will. But we still see here that that's the, the, these. I guess the descriptions in verses 12 through 17 are what we still need to follow as we get on into our relationships in our home, with our co-workers, with others, however way you want to describe to that right there. These people that we're close to, you got to have that, we still got to work together, be together, you know, work, do everything in love uh, with the word backing it. Let's finish the last thing, verses 2 through 6. Mary, do you care to read that, please? Being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, meaning while praying for us that God would uh, open the door unto us for, uh, for the word. Speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also, I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech be also always with grace, seasoned with salt, so that uh, you may know how to watch to answer one another. So if these in verses 18 through chapter 4 verse 1 sort of deal with people that we know I think verses 2 through 6 maybe deal with people that we don't know why is our actions our, our behaviors our you know, approach to life maybe that's the best way to describe it why are those important for people that we come in contact with outside of the church They can see Christ moving in us if, we're, if we have the right frame of mind. Uh, and that may be the only sermon they ever see, you know. They may not read the Bible, they may not have a chance to read it, but if they see you living a godly life, they may try to say, I'd like to be like that. I'd like to have that peace and tranquility that person seems to have. And they might ask you about it, and you might go from that. You're supposed to be set apart, so you should be. And that should be distinguishable. Like you're not supposed to act in the same way that the world acts. Right. People should see something different about you. Again, I think it's important in these last few verses we've just read. Everybody's lot in life is different. Everybody can't be a husband. Everybody can't be a wife or a child or a slave. Some people are slaves. Paul is in prison. 
but we have to understand the world is not fair. Okay, it is not fair. There's some people who have lots and lots of money. Other people are going to be poor their entire lives. You know, uh, during Paul's time, some people owned slaves. Other people had worse slaves. Okay, uh, it's not fair. This world is fair. And if we look for fairness in the world, we are not going to find it. The only fairness we can find is in Christ. That's where the fairness is. And it's a level playing field. We all can be Christians and we all can go to heaven, regardless of the situation. And if you spend all your time being bitter about your lot in life, you're going to miss out on heaven. Awesome. Last little bit. Verse 5 that Mary read, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. How are we to act toward, maybe we would say, those that are outside? I'm not, I'm not saying how me and Jimmy need to react together or how Jill... And Linda need to act together. How are we to act to those that are outside? With kindness. With kindness. Okay? With kindness. Should we treat each other politely? Okay? If somebody, who come, if somebody comes to us, if we speak with somebody who is a Christian but of a different denomination, should we be rude to that person? No. If we meet a Jewish person or a Muslim person, should we, we, we be rude to that person? Describe ourselves as a Christian, that means we represent Christ. I'm not breaking new ground, you've heard other people say this. But if you treat everybody on this street, everybody in this town, county, state, country, and world horribly, you are showing them your interpretation of how Christ would act. Is that the way Christ would act? Not at all. But if they don't know anything other than you, a Christian, is a representative of Christ, what will their impression of Christ and Christianity in the church be? Yeah, whatever you're showing them. You've lost them right there. Let's go down to the last little bit. Chapter six, or the last chapter, verse 16, all of Paul's letters sort of end with a you know, closing sort of statement. He says, now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, Archippus uh, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, Grace be with you. I just think it's interesting that he says, make sure to read this to the Laodiceans. And he also says, there's a letter, for, they have a letter that I want you to read as well. Because if you turn into Revelation, how is the chapter 5, how is uh, the church of Laodicea described? 
as being lukewarm. And it makes you wonder if maybe the letter didn't get there or maybe they just didn't take heed to what the letter actually said. Uh, that's uh, not necessarily yay or nay, just something that uh, kind of an interesting in. Other thoughts before we wrap up? 